Hello and welcome to Energy Voice Out Loud, where we are leading the global energy conversation. It is me, Ed Reed, uh, Emerging Markets Editor, in for Alistair Thomas. Um, and and, and very, very happy to be joined by Andrew Dykes and, and, and Ryan Duff today. Chaps, I, I've got to say, I've got a little bit of feedback for Scotland. Um, tried to come up to Scotland uh, last weekend. Um, you had some sort of storm uh, going on. Yeah, we kept it low key. No one really heard about it. If you could try and make sure that doesn't happen again, because that was really harshing my half ten buzz. Yeah, no, we'll uh, we'll rearrange. <laughs> yeah, it's been so successful. We're planning another one. There's another yellow warning. We were just discussing it before the call. Uh, time to bunker down again. I think. Just uh, don't don't plan another half term holiday, Ed. I know. I, I this is the thing. I'm 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 going to try and avoid all travel to Scotland, uh, and then hopefully that will take the edge off uh, off some of your weather problems. But you know, I, I just 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 thought I should give you that feedback before we get started. But listen. Other things have also been going on this week. Andy, there was some news this week about Shell, about maybe the the, the, the new executives being, should we say, increasingly less keen? Uh, I'm not quite sure how to phrase it about uh, about this energy transition business. What's the what's the outlook? Uh, your your words, not mine. But uh, I think yes, we we have discussed a lot about Shell's strategic shift in recent months, and I think some of that is now kind of filtering through into action, and maybe some some hard decisions. So this was the news this week that Shell is set to call hundreds of jobs from its low-carbon solutions business, LCS. Uh, on Wednesday, it confirmed plans to cut around 200 positions from the global division. Uh, that was beginning next year. A further 130 positions are also under review, although the company says a lot of those roles are expected to be kind of integrated into other bits of the company. Now, they didn't comment on the locations of the roles affected, but uh, it should be stressed, you know, it, it is a fraction of the sort of 90,000 people that the company employs. And uh, for, the, for the local angle, that 1,000 of those are in and around Aberdeen. So LCS includes uh, Shell's hydrogen operations, and that's where it's expected that the majority of these losses will be felt. Uh, but it also handles a range of other work streams, such as kind of transport and a bit of industrials. Um, it doesn't include the renewables business. I think that's really important to mention at the top. Um, so low, low carbon power, I think, seems to be still very much growth or very much a uh, target for the company. Four general manager roles in the hydrogen business are to be merged into two, the company said. And that comes after its uh, former head of hydrogen mobility already left earlier this year to join BP's uh, hydrogen fueling business. So read into that what you will. Um, LCS also includes uh, carbon and capture and storage and nature-based solutions, but again, they are not expected to be affected by the cut. That's obviously kind of good news, and I think evidence, uh, you know, we're already seeing a lot of uh, emphasis on CCS in the UK. They've got stakes in uh, Acorn in the Northeast. They recently won two or three licenses in the Southern North Sea for, for carbon storage as well. So again, still very much focus on that. Um, in a statement, the company said that it aimed to transform LCS to strengthen its delivery on its core low-carbon business areas, such as transport and industry. In line with these principles, it is simplifying the structure and reducing the headcount in its LCS business, with some roles being integrated into other parts of Shell. It said it remains committed to investing in viable low-carbon business models and focusing on its strengths as we play its, as they play their part in decarbonization of the energy system. And I think you know this comes after... Uh, the uh, consumer energy, the home retail business, was already kind of put under review earlier this year and then later sold to Octopus, I think, early September. That deal's to be completed before the end of the year. Um, I think hydrogen, you know, it's still very much up in the air as to where all of these investments are going to be made. There's a lot of hype, which we maybe get onto in a little bit. Um, I think, to make clear as well, Shell is not abandoning hydrogen as a, a kind of energy source, right? They, you know, they have uh, already taken FID 
on a huge project in uh, in the Netherlands, a 200 megawatt electrolyzer for, for Rotterdam. There's big projects in China. There's also the ACORN hydrogen component, which links to the CCS project. I think this is mainly seems to be about the kind of lighter mobility uh, angle, so consumer vehicles, maybe some sort of small solutions around that. I did look up before the call. Um, they have a couple of kind of filling stations for hydrogen in California and a site in the Netherlands, still fairly small-scale operations. Um, but, you know, when when was the last time you drove around and saw a hydrogen car or indeed filled up your own? I think uh, I think perhaps there's a bit of kind of uh, proof in the market there. Um, but I think the wider point is also just, you know, this this really shows that the willingness of uh, of well so on to kind of implement this strategy that we've heard a little bit about since the summer you know focusing on very much on profitability and very much on on returns um, i mean ed i know i think you were at the the event last week that seemed to be the message that he was putting out there as well yeah so so i was at the uh, as, as, as you mentioned i was at the energy intelligence forum i mean i uh, this was obviously the the event that was uh, severely disrupted by uh, by protesters uh, to the point that the that Sawan didn't actually manage to, to, to get there he was sort of video linked in um and you know so there, there was this point sort of you know during that 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 bit when he was actually asked about you know how he you know his 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 take on it, and he had to sort of deny that he had a sort of a, a personal antipathy to uh, to sort of things like nature based solutions. Um, you know, so uh, I, I, I suppose he's got to say because obviously that is part of what uh, Shell is kind of continuing to do. But I, I mean, I, I I find that kind of you know comparison with BP quite interesting. Obviously, it feels like obviously they're 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 they're, they're two very sort of you know very much kind of European companies, sort of somewhere between the the sort of the uh, you know the the sort of the more energy transition and the, and the and the sort of the oil focus of the US uh, majors. I mean, do you do you do you think that that sort of Shell is willing to sort of cede that you know hydrogen edge whatever to to, to BP? Is it is it a competition? But is it is it should it should it maybe not be a, a competition? Should it be just a, a, a focus on 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 sheer you know profitability numbers? I'm I'm not sure. I think you know they've been early into the market, right? They they were what I'm. As I recall, we're one of the kind of early entrants into this idea that you know we would all be filling up hydrogen cars, and I think that that seems to be where the, maybe the, the sharp end of this is being felt. Um, so I, I don't kind of doubt their ability or their willingness to explore that market, but I think you know the, the reality is I think if you look at the sales of some things like the Mirai, the, the Toyota car, I mean there was in the dozens, I think maybe maybe a hundred in the UK or something like that, and I just think that that demand for light mobility, hydrogen especially, is kind of not forthcoming yet. Or indeed, maybe it's missed the boat and, and kind of batteries have, have won out that. So maybe this just this feels like a kind of uh, cut, cutting of losses, I think, and then and using any hydrogen learnings that you do have onto these much more large scale kind of industrial projects, which I think is where, in my personal opinion, you know, the hydrogen makes more, much more sense. I mean, we'll, we'll get on to another story later about kind of where we're going to be using hydrogen, Ryan, but... I suspect that also influences that decision as well. I mean, it, it, it feels very much like a, like a chicken and egg problem, though, doesn't it? I mean, I think, you know, obviously, as you say, right, like, you know, getting hydrogen cars is, is, is obviously very much still a rarity. But, I mean, I don't think that I've ever seen a like a, a hydrogen fuel pump, you know, like, you know, going to sort of, you know, petrol stations around the... Ryan, what, what are your thoughts? Well, uh, as, as an Aberdeen native, I can tell you that there <laughs> is a hydrogen uh, fueling station in Cove. Uh, I have seen one. I've, I used to walk past it quite a lot. Uh, is it busy? No, never. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's mainly used for our world-famous hydrogen buses. Then in uh, Aberdeen, I think that's the... Uh, 
that this are primary use for them as far as I'm aware. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting discussion around, you know, something that I want to touch on a little bit later, so I don't want to show my hand too much. Yeah, as of yet. But um, I, yeah, I think finding hydrogen's niche is quite an interesting discussion. You know, I spoke to the guys at Eton, uh, not the uh, the school for every prime minister we've ever had, <laughs> that uh, energy, energy firm at uh, Offshore Europe earlier this year. And that was the, sort of how our, our discussion went. And I, I, yeah, I think I said something about how it almost feels like every time hydrogen's met, like mentioned as like a solution to something that's pipped to the post, you know, it's like, you know, oh, well, it could be used for cars and then electric vehicles take over and it's, you know, it, it that seems to be the natural solution. So, oh, but then it could be used in, in homes. But then, you know, we're hearing, well, actually, electrification is probably better for that. And it's going to be more expensive for hydrogen. It almost feels like it's always the bridesmaid and never the bride. You know, I think that's the, <laughs> the best way to describe it. I mean, that, that was the joke, right? Hydrogen is the field of the future and always will be. <laughs> we were hearing, you know, I was hearing that when I kind of in the industry 10 years ago. So I think we've come some way, but not a great deal. I, I think to, to pull out again on, on the kind of strategic thing, uh, for Shell more widely, you know, I think this is a lot to do with the messaging around that that profitability angle, right? And and about saying they're just not going to invest in things that they don't see adequate returns on. I think that's that's maybe the key takeaway from this. Um, you know, the the capital markets day earlier this year, Mister uh, Sawan outlined plans to reduce uh, capital spending to between twenty two and twenty five billion per year and return as much as five billion this this half of the year to shareholders. So, I mean, that's big numbers and big returns is, is the idea. And he has maintained that there's no kind of strategic shift, that he's just kind of tweaking little bits around the edges and, and, and pacing the company. Um, but also his uh, executive vice president for Shell Energy, which uh, includes the renewable power business earlier this year, said, you know, delivery will be the mandate of the organization going forward. He reportedly told a, a town hall meeting of, of staff and that the things that the company has been less successful with, they will scale back or stop. Um, so I think it's it's just a case of we're maybe seeing some of that beginning to bite now. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it does feel to me like obviously, it, you know, as as you say, I mean, you know, Shell clearly kind of continuing to you know take, participate in that hydrogen space, but it does feel like kind of mood music, doesn't it? It does feel like. I don't know, like hydrogen's had a rough sort of year or so after the sort of the initial enthusiasm of the pandemic. Listen, I think we're going we're gonna to leave it there for, for, for a short break. Just, Ryan, just one quick note. I believe our current Prime Minister is went to school at, at Winchester rather than Eton. But uh, apart from that, I will. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, but we'll be back after this short break. In a world where the scarcity of key resources is starting to be felt and the impact of climate change is all too apparent, sustainable growth is no longer a choice. It is a necessity. Sustainable Growth Voice is a new online publication championing individuals and organisations that are pushing sustainable growth forward, making a positive impact on the environment, society and the economy. From innovative technologies solving sustainability challenges to social enterprises promoting inclusive growth and transformative policy initiatives, SG Voice covers the fundamental drivers at the heart of the new sustainable economy. Join the conversation that the world needs now. Visit SG Voice for knowledge, inspiration and insight from across the sustainable growth landscape. So Ryan, talking about mood music and hydrogen, what's the what's the what's the northeast feeling? Yeah, so it, it, it was quite quite apt that we uh, that we already had a hydrogen talking point 
this morning because yesterday at the time of recording, I was at uh, the Scottish Hydrogen and Fuel Cell Association's Hydrogen Scotland conference at Aberdeen's P&J Live. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of buzz in the room, as I'm sure you can imagine. Maybe not the cynicism that we've uh, we've just been sort of discussing, but maybe a little bit more of a optimistic vibe in the room about the the potential of hydrogen and it being the fuel of the future. But that future is coming. I think was uh, the idea, as opposed to what Andrew said just before the break. And so, yeah, the day started with Scotland's energy minister Gillian Martin in her keynote speech. She announced that. Um, the Scottish Government has awarded uh, £200,000 to Aberdeen's Net Zero Technology Centre, and that's to look into the feasibility of exporting hydrogen from Scotland to Germany. That's part of the uh, the backbone project that you might have heard uh, reported uh, on Energy Voice in the past. This prompted quite an interesting discussion uh, amongst the amongst the uh, the panel session afterwards after Gillian. Uh, gave her keynote speech, uh, NZTC came up and did a presentation, then there was a panel session. And someone in the audience pointed out that essentially this backbone pipeline project is targeting a base case of 10 gigawatts of export to uh, to Germany. And yeah, this, this delegate, this uh, person in the room stood up and went, well, why? Why are we only targeting 10 gigawatts? You know, if, if there's this massive export potential and Scotland has the potential to meet, meet some of uh, Germany's ever-increasing hydrogen demand and the fact that, you know, Germany's not going to be able to provide, uh, meet its own demand entirely, well, why are we only exporting 10 gigawatts when we're building this pipeline? Why not build gigawatt, a 50 gigawatt pipeline? And... Maybe this was a little bit uh, short-sighted, might be the word I'm looking for of him, but he pointed to like the Nord Stream and been like, look at that, that's like a massive pipeline. Uh, but then the NZ, um, NZTC's uh, Martin Tulloch did point out that uh, people are looking for diversified supply following the Nord Stream uh, sabotage, you know. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, so to speak, you know, if there's a... If, any damage uh, comes to that backbone pipeline and Germany's expecting all of its hydrogen resource to, to come through that, then that's going to create a, a major problem, you know? So interesting point to be made there. Uh, some big sort of news to kick off the conference. But there was, a, there was a lot of buzz in the room, specifically around that, around Scotland's export potential uh, to, to Germany. But um, Gillian Martin also touched on regional hubs within Scotland for, for production, you know, um, saying that, you know, once again, the northeast of Scotland is leading the way uh, in that respect. Uh, you know, we have that hydrogen hub coming to the northeast, a uh, collaboration between Aberdeen City Council and BP. And, you know, it, it, like we said, you know, we've got hydrogen buses and stuff up here. We've got a hydrogen fueling station. And... You know, the energy minister described Scotland's ambitious goals for hydrogen. However, a recent study from Pillsbury uh, might say different. Uh, the law firm slammed the UK for being embarrassingly unambitious, their words, not mine, in the hydrogen space. Um, you know, so it's it maybe a bit, a bit of mixed signals. What, what quantifies as ambitious in this very, very emerging market, very much uh, something that's not found its niche like we just touched on. You know, um, Miss Martin also championed the H100 project in, in Fife, 
which is aiming to uh, use green hydrogen to fuel 300 homes in the region. She says that she hopes the project will prompt more like it in Scotland, you know, more domestic use. But then again, you know, here's here's the counterpoint again. Uh, the NIC, the National Infrastructure Commission, the NIC, recently said that there's no public policy case for hydrogen use in, in heating individual homes or other such buildings. The NIC found that uh, a system with hydrogen heating would be around 1.2 times more expensive than one without. They were prompting uh, the government to look more into electrified heating rather than uh, hydrogen-based alternatives. Now, some may agree with this assessment, some may disagree, and I imagine quite a lot of people in the Press and Journal Live yesterday were disagreeing with it. Um, our very own columnist Dick Winchester, I imagine, would also be one of those. He's uh, been a champion of hydrogen for some time now. Uh, we are, we, but we are targeting an energy mix as we go for the transition. It would be foolish to completely rule out the, the idea of using hydrogen, but you know, if, if evidence is pointing that this might not be the best case scenario, it's still one to keep up on the board just in case, you know. I have a question. When are we going to get some FIDs for uh, for hydrogen projects? Right, I think that's the thing, right? Like, obviously, there's a lot of lot of lot of backwards and forwards. A lot of you know, like, oh, these are, these are good ideas, these are bad ideas. Great, sure, every it, it's it's good to hear this debate. But like, when 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 are we going to sort of see money flowing into the, the the projects? When will these companies finally say, yeah, do you know what, or or not, right? If I knew for certain that money was going to be flooding into the hydrogen sector, I would be starting a business right this second. Then, <laughs> um, I, 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 you know, I think the honest answer is I don't know, but I think that's probably comes down to the fact that yeah, hydrogen hasn't found its niche. Like I was mentioning earlier, is uh, you know, is it going to be used for domestic transport? Well, electricity's beat it to it. You know, heating was an idea. Oh well, heating's less efficient the hydrogen heating is less efficient but it has found a niche in in public transport and heavy goods vehicles uh somewhat at least um andrew Wynn from uh ballard actually wrapped up the uh the session uh, the day on the fourth panel session of the day and he was speaking at uh, ballard for uh, for those that don't know are uh, the hydrogen fuel cell providers for aberdeen's hydrogen buses as well as hydrogen buses in various other cities across the uk uh, andrew spoke about uh, how as these buses are sort of getting adopted more readily the prices are being driven down uh, and sp- he spoke about how his firms moving into heavy goods vehicles um and he also pointed out exciting projects happening overseas. Namely, I believe a ferry, a hydrogen-powered ferry is coming to Norway, I believe. Uh, I think that was right. And uh, this one I definitely know was right. Was There's a train coming to Germany that's entirely powered by hydrogen as well. Um, so it's maybe carving out its niche in that regard. Maybe that's where it's going to find... It's use, but then there's also chat about energy storage as well. You know, the wind isn't always going to blow, the sun isn't always going to shine, but you can store hydrogen to use that in your power plants if if needs be. So there's there's definitely a, a space out there for hydrogen. I think it just needs to make its case and sort of get its head out first, I think, in, in some of these cases. maybe. The other thing, Ed, is, is in the UK at least, you know, we've had, as you say, <laughs> a lot of hype and a lot of kind of governments being like, hydrogen, yeah, yeah. But, you know, we have stuff, the frameworks have yet to be worked out. I think they're still under discussion. I think the first one draft came out in kind of August time. And I think it's kind of been, 
you know, welcomed by the, the businesses that are looking to invest. But I still don't think all the terms are kind of finalized that they can actually make those decisions. And I think that's maybe comes back to the, the Pillsbury point is we maybe could be more ambitious, but we don't even have the frameworks to kind of deliver the ambitions that we've got at the moment properly. And it is happening. But I think, I mean, I would, you know, if, if people are serious, I would hope the next kind of two years, you'll start to see those filter through for the ones that make sense. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it feels like such like an interesting sort of political point, doesn't it? I mean, I, I, so I was at a, I was at a, a hydrogen conference uh, in the summer and, and, and it felt like, I mean, I'm glad to hear that your, your hydrogen conference was, was more positive, Ryan. It, it felt the one that, that I was at. It felt like like people were really just sort of spinning their wheels, right? It, it felt like people could have been saying exactly the same thing last year. And that the, the very little progress had been made. I think the one the one really interesting thing was that um, there were ministers. Well, there was a minister, there was a conservative minister and a, and a shadow uh, front bench Labour minister um, who both kind of turned up and you know kind of pledged uh, you know their sort of you know belief in 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 the hydrogen case. Um, but obviously, you know, there was there was there, even then there was sort of uncertainty around quite what that meant, right? As you say, does it does it go into these you know hydrogen ready boilers that you can get? will those ever actually get hydrogen is that is that something you can just buy to kind of salve your eco conscience rather than sort of struggling with a heat pump i think there's also a cma inquiry as to whether hydrogen ready boilers are just boilers as well <laughs> I, I may be wrong but i think there is some kind of labeling thing around i think all boilers can accept a certain or most modern ones can accept a certain blend but there's kind of been a premium placed on these hydrogen ready ones that people are supposed to be encouraged into buying and I think there's already some inquiries as to whether that's all above board, but I'll say no more on the boiler front. I think, I think as well, you know, I, I I couldn't talk on this entirely. Um, I was I was at the conference yesterday with uh, our reporter uh, Matt Perry, and he uh, he sat in a, a a discussion where he the H100 project in Fife was brought up, and you know. The, there was a criticism of you know well this the area in which it's operating might not be the most well off in in the UK and it's like have you just bought these people's support for this project you know you've given a grant you've given you know given them the infrastructure but then once this project's done are you just going to bugger off and leave them to to use hydrogen and if that's the case how's their fuel bills going to be impacted are they going to see a massive increase you know like, yeah they've got a new boiler but now it only takes a fuel source that's you know, much more expensive than heating their home the way they did before. You know, it's it's it, I think there's it's a lot of kinks that need to be worked out. I think is the uh, the main the main takeaway. Yeah, absolutely. And and I suppose you know, kind of as you kind of coming back to that idea about sort of fueling cars, right? How do you get over that sort of first kind of chicken egg problem? Uh, obviously, we've seen seen some of those sort of you know very quite controversial trials. You know, Caden was 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 involved in one about you know how do you kind of you know convert over? Can you convert over a village or town uh, to as sort of a test bed? What are your responsibilities? How do you sort of secure local support? I think we're gonna we're gonna leave this segment for now, but we're gonna we're gonna carry on our our hydrogen theme. Uh, maybe looking at some of the uh, the more positive stories uh, in Europe. Have you been searching for the latest sustainability news, developments, insights and analysis? Why not have it delivered straight to your inbox? Sense of Sustainability is the weekly newsletter for individuals and organizations committed to a more sustainable future. Each issue is designed to equip your business with the tools it needs to thrive in an inclusive, sustainable economy. Join the conversation and head to sgvoice.net slash sign up to sign up for our newsletter. 
And so uh, something of a, a sort of a counterpoint, I suppose, to some of this kind of maybe more UK kind of doom and gloom. Um, I think there have been sort of a couple of, you know, interesting kind of hygiene pieces uh, this week. Uh, in in sort of mainland Europe, so I think I think you know the the one that kind of really caught my eye, of course, was was, was ITM, uh, obviously a sort of a mainstay of of, of a lot of the UK's uh, hygiene hopes and a real sort of you know one of those sort of pandemic darlings, wasn't it? I think it's 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 its share price reached something like four hundred p or something, and it was a it was a real kind of a goer for a while, and then and then and then some of those kind of concerns that we we we've, we've discussed, kind of you know I think you know kind of started to take its toll. It ran into some sort of corporate problems, and and it, it, it then there was a sort of a, an executive change, and and now they're sort of looking at new pastures. They moved into uh, into the US, I think, earlier this month, uh, and then and and then just uh, this week opened uh, officially opened their office in in Germany, which which felt sort of significant, didn't it? I mean, I think obviously there's you know kind of the, that kind of growth story initially being around the UK and some of those the, some of those um, those, those, those domestic plans. The the US obviously has its Inflation Reduction Act, um, which provides substantial support, hundreds of billions of dollars for the uh, for for various sort of transition uh, sources, hydrogen being one of them, um, and then also um, that move into Germany. Uh, so you know Germany obviously has struggled uh, since the Russia's invasion of Ukraine to quite how to sort of retool its energy mix, which you know in the short term we've seen as a move into uh, burning more coal. Um, but obviously, with a sort of an eye on those kind of energy transition goals, hydrogen being kind of part of that, uh, in addition to sort of LNG in the short term, but but hydrogen playing a, a kind of a, a, a role kind of further out. Um, and so they've been talking about, for instance, this uh, this 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 potential sort of uh, Scottish pipeline coming from the UK, bringing in however many gigawatts of of, of hydrogen, but also around sort of domestic uh, production. So the EU's kind of set out these goals. Um, the Repower EU plan, I think, is uh, it, it calls for something like uh, 10 million tons per year of of hydrogen production by 2030 domestically, and then importing the similar sorts of volumes from overseas. And it, it feels like, you know, ITM has kind of seen that as, a, as an opportunity. Uh, I think RWE is working on some, some some plans nearby and they are sort of moving ahead. Andy, I know you, you, you sort of covered this kind of move into the US for, for, for ITM. Do you think that the, the US is, is, is more welcoming than the UK? I think for the manufacturing element, I just think that the economics for these types of support mechanisms, as you've just mentioned, makes so much more sense. I mean, I think this is kind of part of the problem with the, the kind of British manufacturing side of it. And I know to, to mention Dick Winchester again is, is an absolute evangelist for the fact that we need some kind of British or, or Scottish manufacturing uh, capability to make things like electrolyzers. It's all well and good saying that you're going to um, produce hydrogen and do all these things with it. But if, if the, all the technology that underpins that, you know, if at least a significant portion of it isn't coming from the UK, then you can't really say that's kind of part of your transition, you know, again, you're just importing all these things. I spoke with um, a company called Ceres last year who, ma- who make um, solid or uh, solid oxide electrolyzers, which is different to the PEM and the alkaline systems. And I think he, uh, their, their boss was kind of saying similarly that, you know, the UK, you just, it's really difficult to scale these technology businesses. If, if you don't, you need the supply chains and you need the, the kind of workforce and you need the technology and all these things need to fit together. And the UK, just the infrastructure you know, 
policy-wise and kind of space-wise and everything else doesn't necessarily fit that and that series would be pursuing more of a kind of licensing model and he said that just made much more sense for the business you know they don't need to kind of employ thousands of people and build you know giga they, they would like to build gigafactories but i think he sort of suggested it was impossible that they would be able to do it alone and that it was more of this kind of partnership model and so i do wonder whether we'll see more of that the fact that itm yeah as, as you say has making i think what they called an accelerated entry into the u.s speaks volumes around what they think there is there versus what they see for themselves here and, and in europe maybe uh, yeah and, and and i think you know kind of also on that sort of european side i mean i think that that, that kind of does feel like the competition doesn't it it feels like maybe the uk sort of took an early lead right i mean i think you know we had this sort of 10 point plan you know kind of you know on the the mists of time now but it, it feels like we've sort of you know we sort of you know took that really kind of positive step and we and kind of pinned our colours to the mast and have since kind of, you know, sort of stepped back somewhat from from that sort of early support. Whereas the US uh, passing the IRA, uh, was it August of last year? And then, and then the EU also, you know, sort of seeing this kind of gas crisis with Russia, seeing those kind of energy transition kind of goals in peril has really kind of, you know, kind of turned on, for want of a better word, the gas uh, in terms of sort of, you know, trying to secure some of that sort of, you know, hydrogen and, and, and really kind of making the case, right? And saying, you know, here's, here's, here's so much money, here's what we want, here's, here's a very kind of a clear policy. Obviously, there are challenges with kind of execution, and obviously, you know, kind of governments uh, love to sort of set targets like you know, ten million tons by twenty thirty, and then obviously, there's a kind of a question around how actually do you achieve that? But I think setting the policies, saying here's some money, is is really going to help, and I think that's you know, it, it does feel like a kind of a European versus US sort of a, a playing field at the moment, and the UK maybe sort of slipped somewhat in in that sort of attractiveness yeah i i also think i i don't know a huge amount about the structures of, of how the ira works but i know from what people have said that the simplicity of it for making those decisions is also really welcomed right i mean we have been, we've been talking a long time about these frameworks and who's going to do sort of transmission and production and tariffs and all these other things and i feel like the the u.s system just went pierce here's just a percentage bunch of money that you're going to get back on a very clear kind of rebate for all these investments that you're going to make as long as they tick these boxes. And that just instantly kind of energized people in a way that this, you know, five-year discussion around blending and uh, little bits and pieces, you know, has not quite done the the trick, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, so and I think the other kind of the other part of the puzzle, right, is I think that while there is this kind of domestic manufacturing push, right, which we're seeing in 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 the US and in and, and in Europe, I think the other kind of quite interesting part is that kind of question around transportation and around sort of moving volumes of hydrogen, like commercial volumes of hydrogen from A to B, right? And I think, the, so that kind of, you know, the Scotland, you know, that kind of idea around, you know, sort of sending, you know, hydrogen a pipeline sounds like a really kind of a competitive way to do it. And obviously, pipelined uh, hydrogen is going to be, as I understand it, you know, kind of really kind of cost competitive, um, you know, in terms of sort of, you know, this sort of energy transition goal, and particularly versus, uh, putting hydrogen on a boat, but uh, but I think just on that sort of you know the the idea of sort of the sort of slightly more ambitious. I think I'm going to also just just bring in another another piece that we we saw this morning this 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 week rather sorry, um, where was uh, Aqua Power has, has has sort of struck a deal with the uh, with the port of Amsterdam and some some other companies looking at ways in which they can move essentially cheaply produced hydrogen from places like Saudi Arabia, the Middle East. 
um, into Europe, into Amsterdam. Uh, and, and, and interestingly, they said that their plan involved uh, liquefied hydrogen. So most of these plans are around, you know, you get, you know, your, your hydrogen, either green or blue or whatever, and you convert it into, into ammonia or some other sort of, a, you know, liquid carrier. And then you can move it in a sort of a fairly understandable way. People have been moving ammonia around the world for years. It is, it is, it is dangerous, uh, but it is doable. I think the the this idea around kind of moving liquid hydrogen, I thought was 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 really was really bold. I mean, I think you know, so to, to 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 liquefy hydrogen, you've got to reduce its temperature to something like minus two hundred and fifty degrees Celsius. So there's a real sort of an energy input to get that, um, which obviously is going to be a challenge, and obviously there's a lot of technology that's going to have to go into that. But I think the delivering it and then and then being able to use it is going to be a lot more straightforward than you know ammonia or some other carrier so i don't i, don't, I mean obviously you know it's early days yet this is just like an mou you know we'll, we'll kind of have to see how it plays out but it was i thought really interesting and really positive to say hey do you know what we're going to sign this deal maybe we'll be able to move uh you know liquid hydrogen uh, from saudi arabia or or, or wherever else into uh you know kind of mainland europe Andy, you look uh, particularly sceptical. Do you want to? Wanna... I don't want to end on the the biggest bubble bursting of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, I just I think there's there's been some plans around that for a year or two, and I think I've seen some analyses. I think Michael Liebreich in particular is very hostile towards that proposition for the reasons of uh, energy inputs boil off. I think that the economics and the the losses and the wastage when you kind of see what stacks up is just kind of eye-watering and I think the scale that I think that you would have to get to to make that make sense maybe and maybe at the you know tens of gigawatts scale um from aqua that that does make sense but I think that the, the analysis that I'd seen the challenge on that is huge and that I think an ammonia or even to be honest LNG and then some kind of carbon capture and transformation at the end might make a lot more sense than liquefying hydrogen however I don't sign on the dotted line I don't. Uh, <laughs> I don't make the big FIDs. So if if they're willing to do it and explore it, then we should definitely uh, keep an eye on it for sure. Exactly. I think I think that's 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 the point that we should end on, Andy. Uh, a, a very upbeat. You know, like do you know what? We're not sure if it'll work, but like it's. I just find it encouraging that you know people are saying like we are we're going to try exploring this, and who knows? Maybe you know, sort of a year down the line, they're actually oh maybe we'll turn this. You know, maybe we'll pivot to ammonia or or some other way. It is the fuel of the future. Well, yes, I mean, <laughs> yes. I love that you were able to spin Andy's "It's your risk, not mine" into a really positive, <laughs> really positive spin. Well done. <laughs> I'm just, you know, trying to bring a bit of bit of upside to our, uh, you know, to this. But I, I, but I think that's the thing, right? Like, I think I think people need to take these kind of risks. And I think, you know, uh, we've 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 heard, uh, you know, Shell is not gonna, you know, kind of make make that move. There are, there are, there are challenges around uh, around the UK. I think you know, look, we're going to need some investments. We're going to need some people, you know, kind of t- swinging for the fences, and you know, maybe that's maybe maybe that's where it's going to go. But you know, obviously, there is always an appeal with these kind of things, isn't there? Where you want to be uh, as an investor, you don't probably want to be the people taking the risk. You want to be the people who are watching very closely to see who's taking the risk, and uh, you know, sort of seeing how it works out. But I think I think it's it's it's, it's very positive that that Aqua is kind of stepping up and and, and exploring this even if uh, who knows where it, where it may end up but listen i think this is probably all the time we've got for today so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna end on that positive note so thank you andy thank you ryan uh, that's it for today i've been ed reed 
Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.